This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is attorney Alan Pierce. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts, concentrating in representing injured workers in cases involving on-the-job injuries. And today, we have Teddy Snyder as our guest. Teddy is from the state of California. She is a mediator of workers' compensation claims. She is an attorney with over 30 years of experience. And she has concentrated her practice on settlements. She is a frequent speaker and author for bar and claims groups on the topics of settlement and mediation, as well as under the second Medicare Secondary Payer Act Compliance, um, another hot topic in workers' comp. LexisNexis has designated her as a notable person in workers' compensation. So, Teddy, welcome to Legal Talk Network and welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thanks, Alan. Well, you know, you're... you're, you're Concentration is in mediation, and in my experience, uh, I occasionally, and I would say probably seldom, mediate a workers' compensation claim, but when I do, I find that it is a very effective tool in bringing a claim to resolution, and I frequently say to myself, why aren't I mediating more cases? And one of the reasons is oftentimes when I'm anxious to mediate a case, the insurance company is not so willing to mediate the case. What are the advantages of mediation? That may be a self-evident question, but uh, just to get us into the topic, tell us the role of mediation in a workers' comp case. Well, you know, I have to say you bring up a good point about the role of mediation in workers' comp because we have a big variation, a big spectrum of the use of mediation in workers' compensation throughout the country. So, for example, in South Carolina, it's just been made mandatory. That is, you ha- it's mandatory to mediate, not mandatory to settle. That's recent. Florida, there's a history there. There's actually been a study done recently about how effective it is, i.e. very effective. And then where I am, California, um, it's not very common at all. It is through private mediators as opposed to the workers' comp judges, and people are just starting to learn about it. Hence, you know, this program is really valuable. So, you know, why would people want to do it? And there's an, a number of reasons. In many states, because of budget constraints and other reasons, the judges have big caseloads, and they don't have the time to really provide people with an exhaustive settlement conference. It's kind of a few minutes in, and uh, time's up, and, and you're shoved out the door, as it were. So mediation, one of the benefits is you can have as much time as you want, whatever you want to schedule. And not only for how long the mediation is, but when and where. So if you don't want to wait months to have a hearing, if everybody can uh, get their schedules together, theoretically, you could do it the next day. There's some other issues there, like briefs, but yeah, you could do it really fast. Yeah, you raised a, a good point. You said that a lot of times the, uh, the agency, the Department of Industrial Accidents, the Workers' Comp Board, because of the caseloads of the judges, they don't have time. And of course, we have to remember that the judge, the hearing officer, whatever you call that person, is 
not really in the role of trying to effectuate a settlement. That person has to make a factual decision or a legal decision as to what somebody collects and how long they collect it, and really only gets involved in the settlement process to ask if the parties have discussed settlement, but really can't get involved in mediating a number or a resolution because that dis- destroys that person's impartiality, who's going to ultimately decide the case if the case doesn't resolve by way of settlement. So I know in Massachusetts, we have administrative judges, but they don't take an active role in settling the case. They'll take a very active role in saying, have the parties discussed settlement, or this case looks like a good case to settle. I can see it going either way. You might want to discuss it, but that's as far as they're able to go. So a mediator who does have the powers to bring parties together can discuss freely demands, offers, counterproposals, et cetera, and, and hash out a settlement. Has that been your experience elsewhere, especially in the states that have mandate? Well, and another, you know, another point that's, that's raised by what you've just said is that in mediation, typically the parties are separated. And so you have the employer side in one room, the injured worker side in the other, and those separate rooms are called caucuses. And in mediation, one of the underlying tenets of mediation that makes it work is that it's confidential. So something that's said in one room, unless the people in those rooms give the mediator permission, is not disclosed in the other room. Unlike if you tell it to a judge, that's it. It's gone. It's no longer confidential. So one side, perhaps the employer side, has a sub rosa a video where they went out and did observation on the injured worker, but they haven't disclosed that yet. They don't want to. There may be other issues, health issues, that the employee doesn't want to disclose, that there are potential comorbidities that perhaps haven't been discovered yet. And all those things might be pivotal in evaluating the case, but for various reasons, the parties are not ready to disclose them to the other side. Mediation is the ideal place for a mediator to be able to bring the parties together to an agreement and still preserving their confidences. Another point you just raised, Alan, is a workers' comp judge is going to focus on what are the legal issues that the ultimate decision will turn on. And many, many times I have found that it's a sort of off-to-the-side issue, which is pivotal. So you and I were talking before. I had one case, and the injured worker side was no, we're not going to close the case. We're not going to give up future medical. No, 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 no. And the insurer in this case really wanted that case to close for a variety of reasons. Well, in talking with, as it turns out, the injured worker was the wife and and the husband was doing the talking. And, And that's another issue too. You want to make sure all the interested parties are at the mediation because many times it is the spouse who's the decider. So in this case, as it turned out, the husband was a 24-7 full-time home health care provider, and he was getting paid and appropriately was reporting those payments on his taxes, paying self-employed taxation on them, and, and, it, and it made a big dent in the amount of money. And when we explained that, well, if you settle the case and take the value of the future home health care, and it's all bundled into the settlement, it would all be tax-free. Well, that was the, the deciding factor which made that case amenable to closure. That's not the kind of issue a workers' comp judge is going to uh, reach. 
That's a very good point. And uh, another, perhaps you can expand on this. I have some clients that if the insurance company gets to see them, they see, hear, and make judgments about their demeanor, about the story they tell in a way that you can't get from a paper file or a computer file or a digital file uh, that is consists of IMEs or independent medical evaluations and other things. So that your client, if he or she has a a, uh, a powerful story, the way this injury has impacted her, his or her life, uh, it can be a very effective tool in getting the attention of the decision makers who put a value on this case. Of course, the flip side can uh, also um, uh, come back and hurt you if you've got a client who presents very poorly. And I say that we frequently have to, you know, put some polish on the on the lump of coal to get this person in a in a place where they might, even though in the caucus. You're separated, but oftentimes at the beginning uh, or at certain times during the mediation, they do have an opportunity. Have you run into that sort of dynamic of the other side actually getting to see here and meet the injured worker? Absolutely, and that only emphasizes the importance of having the right people at the mediation. I was at a claims office recently, and the claims manager said to the group of adjusters who were meeting me as a, as a mediator, that and you go to the mediation. Uh, I've been in many workers' comp mediations where, for a variety of reasons, sometimes because of great distance, the claims person was not in attendance. But many times the claims person can be there. And if they are able to be there, it is a good use of their time for the reasons you just said. Uh, let me talk a little bit about when the injured worker is telling their story. One of the biggest benefits, I think, of mediation is for the injured worker to have a forum to tell the story. Up until that time, the only time they've really been able to tell their story to the other side is in deposition. And that's so limited because, first of all, you're responding to questions. It's an adversarial situation. And, of course, the injured worker has been coached by the uh, their attorney, no, don't go creative on me. Just answer the question. Don't embroider. Just straightforward answer the question. Well, a lot of times they do want to embroider. They want to tell the whole story. They want to complain about the home health care benefits being taxable or whatever it is. So it's very cathartic for the injured worker to be able to tell the neutral, this is what's happened to me, and this is what my life has been like since the injury. And the feeling that someone in this position is ready to hear them and, and be empathetic to that, to that story can go a long way in helping the injured worker put the uh, incident behind them, settle the case, and move on with their life. Yeah, yeah, and that is a very good point, and that frequently gets overlooked, and I've, I've noticed that, I, of course, I mediate a lot more personal injury or civil cases than I do workers' comp cases. Uh, but the, the times I have mediated a, a comp case, it has really been where my client has had what I believe to be a very unrealistic view of the value of the case. Now, there have been some times I've come out of mediation and we haven't settled the case because, frankly, at the end of the day, what the insurance company was prepared to pay, which was usually a lot more than what they were willing to pay before mediation, simply wasn't enough to do the job. But at least I knew we've gotten that last nickel 
and my client could then make the decision to accept or, to, or to, at least in comp, you have the option of continuing to collect. Uh, but you're right. The, um, a, a skillful mediator uh, is going to able, be able as a neutral to explain value a lot better than uh, the attorney can because the, the attorney, if I'm representing a claimant, I want to let that client know that I'm going to advance her interest as far as I can, but it's hard for me then to rear back and say, you know, you could lose the case and, you know, you have to take that into consideration. And of course, the insurance representative, whether it's the insurance lawyer, the insurance claims adjuster, is obviously going to be looking and discussing the case from their perspective only. So uh, tell me about the, the skills of a mediator, who, such as yourself. I know you've been an attorney and you've dealt with comp, but your fellow mediators, where do they come from? Are they retired hearing officers or judges? Uh, they come from the defense side, the claimant side. Are they in practice in addition to being mediators? What's the typical makeup of a, a mediator in terms of background? A good mediator is someone who can bring the parties together to to agree on what works to conclude the case. And And there's been a lot of studies on mediation about it is that coming together voluntarily to a resolution that makes a greater sense of satisfaction for the parties rather than having a judge tell them. And, and there are a number of mediation training. My own mediation training was at Pepperdine University Strauss Institute. And the level of, of mediation training required uh, does vary from state to state. So basically, if it's someone you know has a lot of experience with settlements, I think that's going to be important in uh, helping you close the case. You know, I want to go back to something else also that you kind of raised about how a lot of times the attorneys are kind of constrained from telling it like it is for various reasons. I know that I've seen in cases that go on for years and years and years that there's turnover on both sides of the attorneys. And so if you're the third, I had one case and it was the third defense attorney on the case. And I, and I said, here's the value of the case. And he said, I know that. The prior two attorneys told them that. They hired me to try the case. They don't want to hear what the settlement value is. So he, even though he knew what the value of the case was and he could tell them what the value of the case was, telling this particular client what the value of the case was resulted in the prior two attorneys getting replaced. So a lot of times the value of the, of the neutral is that even though the attorneys, because they don't want to lose their client, or maybe they gave what turned out to be an incorrect evaluation in, in light of further developments, and now the client is saying, well, wait, you said this two years ago, now you're telling me something else? So, so a lot of times if the neutral comes in and says it, it can help preserve the relationship between the attorney and the client. All right, we're going to stop right here, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Teddy Snyder discussing mediation and workers' compensation cases. Be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. 
visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce, and we have been speaking with Teddy Snyder. Teddy is an attorney who has been focusing her practice for the last several years as a mediator of workers' compensation claims. Teddy, we left off discussing the mediation process. How does the process get started? Who usually suggests mediation, and how is it done? Well, it can be either side, and actually, mediation also can be a really good idea where the injured worker is uh, pro se, or another term for that is improper. They don't have counsel. A lot of times, they don't see anybody as, quote-unquote, on their side, and, and a mediation can help that way. If you've got a situation where, especially this happens, the attorneys are at loggerheads, or it might be the injured worker and the adjuster who, who have an animosity toward each other. Either one can get the ball rolling. You don't have to get that agreement. And one of the part of what, one of the things that a mediator does is getting the people to agree to do the mediation. <laughs> so I start mediating even well in advance of the mediation. Just you don't have to be the one who, who it's better if it works that way, but you don't have to be the one who gets the other side on board. If you just say, look, I contacted Teddy Snyder. She's going to contact you about getting together a mediation. You don't even have to talk to the person. Do it by email. A lot of times, one side will say, you know, I'd really like to settle this case, but the other side is so unreasonable. And I'll say, okay, well, give me their contact info, and I'll tell them, you know, you're interested in talking. And then I call up the other side, and they say, you know, we'd really like to settle this case, but the other side is so unreasonable. <laughs> I, can, I can picture that happening. So um, let's talk about the, the uh, creativity that a mediator has to uh, possess in order to do an effective job, because as as we know, and uh, many in our audience know, simply putting a value to a worker's compensation claim isn't the end of what you have to do to protect the rights of the, the claimant. There are, especially in, in jurisdictions where you're closing out future medical rights or medical benefits, and there's going to be further medical expense. You know, you have Medicare interests, so you have health insurance interests, you have uh, a variety of other types of benefits, even social security disability benefits that are impacted when a case is resolved by way of settlement. So why don't you give us some of your experience about what a mediator has to be aware of in order to do the most effective job? Again, a mediator is not, is a neutral. And we're there to help people come up with solutions so that they can agree to settle the case. Sometimes, it makes sense to bring the people back into a joint session and say, you know, let's have a brain session here, brainstorming session. What are all the things, all the ways we can think of that will get the parties where they need to be? And, and as you correctly stated, Social Security issues on the income side and continuing medical on that side of, of the equation are areas where that kind of expertise and creativity uh, can be very helpful. And especially right now, uh, there is a lot of confusion on the medical side. So let, let me put that aside and talk about one income issue first. And that is sometimes 
um, because they don't want a decrease in their Social Security disability payments. Um, injured workers will stop taking income benefits on their workers' comp claim. So if they want to settle their case, sometimes that can be a difficult thing to put together under the particular statute, uh, statutory framework that, that they're operating under. So one of the benefits of settling is that you can create a creative way so that parties can maximize their public benefits under Social Security and still retain the maximum income benefits under workers' comp. So coming up with those kinds of um, solutions, and there are several ways to do that. Yeah, and I I assume, I don't know if you use the same terminology in California or wherever else you practice that we do here. We call them utilizing the Sherrata allocation on a settlement. The Sherrata is the name of a case in which the Social Security Administration effectively said, and it's in their uh, manual, that if the proceeds of a settlement are designated to be a stream of income over that person's life expectancy, they recalculate the offset. Rather than use the weekly benefit the person is getting, they divide by the the years or months of life expectancy, which means if you're settling a case of somebody in their 40s or 50s and they have a 30 or 40 year life expectancy, you are minimizing the value of that settlement for purposes of social security set off or offset. So that if somebody's being offset five hundred or a thousand dollars a month by being on workers' comp, by taking advantage of the Sharada case and settling the case in a lump sum. Yeah, in California we call that a Hartman formula. A Hartman formula. Okay, so it's probably got different names, but it's it's the same thing. You use a formula. Same thing. And then on the on the medical side of most workers' comp practitioners right now are very familiar with the Medicare set aside process. Unfortunately, we are. And some people may be. Some injured workers may be what's called medi-medi or dual eligible, which means they get both Medicaid, that's called Medi-Cal in California, Mm -hmm. and Medicare. And there's developments going on at CMS, the government, about that. But also, we now have, of course, Affordable Care Act. And some people, because the sign-up period for both Medicare and Affordable Care Act are at the exact same time, some people are confused by that, and so they think that if they are in their open enrollment period for Medicare, they go to the exchanges for Affordable Care Act, and no, it, that's a completely separate thing. So if I can bring all the people together in a joint session, if, if the attorneys are ex, have expertise on this and can figure it out in their caucuses, great, but a lot of times they need some help. And so if I bring them together and I start, you know, coming up with a lot of different suggestions, say, let's just make a list of all of the things which might possibly help settle this case and talk to them about, you know, what a brainstorming session really is and and how we can pick and choose and and manipulate these different ideas. We can all work together towards a resolution. And I'm going to assume, and I'd rather hear the answer from you, that if if mediation is not successful, if you get to the point where the insurance company is willing to pay X and the injured worker is only willing to accept Y, and there is still that gap. It stays there. It stays with the mediator. It does not go any further than that. The judge or the hearing officer cannot be influenced by whatever one party was ready to concede or not. That mediation is independent of and completely separate from the adjudicatory process in most states or all states. Yes. Well, that's... You are mediating in front of the same judge who's going to hear your case. 
that would make me a little nervous. Exactly. Um, even though some judges say, well, and, and some arbitrators also, even some private arbitrators, some people will say that they can do what they call a med-arb. They can first have a mediation and then an arbitration. I have some doubts about that. But in general, settlement discussions are privileged, and one of the hallmarks of mediation is confidentiality. Mediators cannot be, at least in California, it's very clear, cannot be subpoenaed. Talk about what happened and uh, sort of what goes into mediation stays in mediation, just like Las Vegas. Vegas, yeah. You're right. And uh, actually, here in Massachusetts, we have five regional offices of the Department of Industrial Accidents. In one of those offices, and I'll, I'll name it because I think it's, it's to their accredited, in our Fall River, which is in the southeastern uh, corner of Massachusetts, we have uh, three or four permanently assigned workers' comp judges. And they informally among themselves, if they see a case without getting into the, the value, but they see a case that might lend itself to settlement and they get a sense from the attorneys when they're about to start a hearing or have a status conference that the parties are too far apart, they will volunteer one of their colleagues to mediate the case in a confidential setting. And uh, I, I did that on one occasion. I don't have too many cases in Farber, but I had one very difficult asbestos case where there were four or five different insurers because of four or five different places of exposure. So I had a problem on my end with the value as my client and I saw it. And the other, even if we arrived at a value, we had five people contributing and each one had a different slant on, because only one could be held liable. And it was very effective that uh, one of the other judges uh, spent about two hours of time with all of us while we were there getting ready for the hearing. And we elected to mediate the matter. And we did resolve it. We, first, we resolved the settlement figure, and then the judge spent probably as much time with the other five in which they carved it up. And, you know, if we had to try the case, it might have taken two or three days of trial, a lot of expenses of medical depositions, and my client would have won or he would have lost, and uh, we don't know which one he would have gotten benefits from. And everybody walked away with that. My client got the, the number he wanted. Each insurance company paid a share that was commensurate with their level of risk, and the process worked. And I wondered why we don't do this more often. I think it's because it's, it's not on the forefront of our, of our brains. We're, we're marching to the tune of, well, the case is scheduled for hearing, let's get ready for trial. So if somebody wants to mediate a case, one party can propose it to the other and um, select somebody like you. If people wanted to reach out and um, uh, learn more about mediation or learn more about your practice, how could they uh, contact you? Well, I have a website, WC, for workers' comp, wcmediator.com. I can be reached by email at tsnyder, T-S-N-Y-D-E-R, at wcmediator.com. And my phone is 310-889-8165. Six five here in sunny Los Angeles, California. All right. Well, Teddy Snyder, thank you very much for being a guest on Workers' Comp Matters. I learned a lot just by chatting with you. It's always good to hear what um, people are doing in other jurisdictions and verifying that some of the things we try to do here in Massachusetts are um, not too different than what goes on elsewhere. And keeping in mind that this show, Workers' Comp Matters, reaches all 50 states and beyond. And as everybody knows, Every state has a somewhat different system, and there are the federal systems of federal workers' comp, railroad, um, police and fire, Longshoremen, Jones Act, for people in the uh, 
uh, navigable waters. I mean, there are so many systems. We all share something in common, a fixed, limited source of benefits for an on-the-job injury. And from that point, unfortunately, sometimes it gets very complicated. And it does take a trained professional such as somebody like you uh, who's had years in the business to understand this and be able to bring a matter to a resolution. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to presenting another show on Workers' Comp Matters. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matter shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.